Let's begin our time with prayer. Dear Lord, we're grateful for we're grateful for this. Grateful for the habit we have based on the love we have for one another to gather together and be uh, in your word. Keep us going back to it in your son's name. Amen. This this is I was just praying that we, you know, you know always pray about the satisfaction we have of being in the word. And Psalm 136 is sort of rooted in that idea. And I was just going through various psalms that had come up, verses out of it had come up in conversation during the week. And I went to a, which psalm was it? 134, somewhere in the 130, 144, something like that. Saw something coming along, went and looked it up in my guidebook of how, when did I preach in the psalm last? And it was a couple years ago. You know, I'm like, oh, they're going to think I'm skating not earning my keep. So I got to Psalm 136, and it's one of those that you tend to ignore because it has that repeat line. Every other line says, for his steadfast love endures forever. That's like running into the Leviticus or Chronicles portion where it says, and -and so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so. His steadfast love endures forever. This is a wonderful thing, but we just get a a little tedious. I don't know if we can blame David directly for this. But as I looked at it, one of the things you can do, um, if, if you're interested in why did the Lord have this statement, repeat, statement, repeat, was it a, what are they called, a call and response sort of responsive reading thing where the congregation says, for his steadfast love endures forever? That might be an interesting thing to do. The road to Rome. But, uh, but what you can do mentally is knock that out. You know it's there as the ground of what's the psalmist's intention. For his steadfast love endures forever, whatever he says. But then when you take it out, it breaks up into basically three parts. The first Three verses are what? How would you what you call them? They are uh, uh, declarations about God. Verse four through twenty-two is a selected history of the Jews. Not a very not for this history sake, but it's remembrance of things that have happened. And the last four verses, self-application. All of them, every statement, for his steadfast love endures forever. The first three verses go, oh, give thanks to the Lord. Now that's, that's your, your, the beginning of your statement, right? Give thanks to the Lord, if you want to skip over the bit that's unique in each verse. For his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. Now, I was probably thinking of this, or just Leslie's been writing some short essays for our marriage book, which I think she's done. But she did one on Thanksgiving, and I was reading it, 
kind of proofing it. So verses like these were on my mind. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. We know that, like in Romans 1, we didn't cover it last week when we were in Romans 1, but it said, uh, because he did not honor God or give him thanks, he gave them up to the futility of their minds, and their senseless minds became darkened. We know that thanksgiving is a crucial element. Very few people do it. It's not thankfulness. Leslie and I talked about that as you put the essay together. It's not thankfulness. We, we know that when little Johnny gets a toy that little Johnny wanted, Johnny is thankful that Johnny got the toy. But Johnny doesn't think to thank Grandma for the toy. He's thankful. We even tell his parents, well, Grandma knows I'm thankful. No, Grandma doesn't. It's give thanks. It's not feel thankful. It's a, it's a hurdle. I know it's a hurdle. It's, uh, you know, we're not a, we don't have, we got these pews from a Nazarene church. Was it a Nazarene church? I think it was Nazarene church. We sold our old padded chairs. You go, you sold padded chairs? Yes, we sold all the old padded chairs in here and got real church pews. But we didn't get the kind with a little kneeling rail that flops down with the, the pad on it or with the barbed wire on it. You're really spiritual. So we're not a kneely type of church, but you know, sometimes it kind of feels like that when somebody asks you to pray. Or, I, I, I may have, I've told you this story before, there's a missionary friends of ours back in Michigan from Japan, and uh, we had known them in Japan. And uh, he was in a church board meeting, and that they're discussing some real big difficulty, and somebody suggested finally that, that we pray about it. So he said, has it come to that? We look at, we, we, we just kind of want to read, have our emotions, our positions just known magically. Even with our friends or family. We don't want to actually tell someone something, like, thank you very much. We want them just to know, oh, she knows I love her. <laughs> Watch the surprise cross her face when you finally tell her. Because you're not sure she does. That she knows it. Give thanks to the Lord. Now the word Lord there is Yahweh. It's all capitals. It is the Tetragrammaton. It is the name of the God. For he is good. And then it starts to lob things at you. God is good. This is a universe where goodness is the exchange. Where love is the exchange point. We're not talking about malevolent people and a malevolent God getting together in the dark reaches of the nether gloom and we hey, we're kind of the same. You're awful. I'm awful. Let's just let's get together on this. This is the getting together of goodness. Give thanks to the God of gods. Oh, that adds something. He is good. His steadfast love endures. He's the God of gods. Verse 3, oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, in case you missed the point. Now, I know that some most, if most of you are egalitarians, I'm not an egalitarian, 
But I think we can all agree that when you get to the gods, we're not egalitarian. All the other gods, pikers compared to the Yahweh. Until the God makes himself known, that's not, and nobody's got anything going on. They're, they're bigger than you, yes. I mean, the gods, you might even be tempted, God forbid, to, na- to kneel in front of them. But Yahweh is far greater than that. He is the God that gods worship. And when it says the God of gods, it's, you know, the gods get together for a picnic and somebody says, would anyone like to open in prayer? And somebody steps forward and prays to the God you worship. Because he is the God of gods. He is the Lord of lords. Everything you think is high. Everything you think is greatest. Now, at this point, when little Johnny has been given the perfect gift by his grandma, and he knows he's thankful that he's got this perfect gift, but he just wants to play with it, he doesn't want to have his mom come along and tell him he's got to write a thank you note to grandma. That little say thank you, Johnny, is a real tough time happening. But even if we said all these wonderful things, it was the perfect gift. Say grandma had saved up all year long so she could get the perfect gift for little Johnny, hoping she'd get that card, which she'll only get if mother, you know, leans on him. Same with the great statements of our God. He is good, he is loving, and he is the greatest. And you could almost you know, say, well, you know, it's good for a Christian family to hold those things about the Yahweh, the I Am. So, little kids, please chant after me. He is good, he is loving, he's the greatest. Yeah, I don't know you can add something, make it rhyme, sing a little ditty. Or just get out of the catechism. What is the chief end of man? You got forced thank yous and, uh, and artificial claims of this wonderful thing called a good, loving, and great God. The greatest thing ever. And in case just the statement in the first three verses is not enough, it's, I, I, I bolded these phrases, oh, give thanks, oh, give thanks, oh, give thanks thanks. And then in a number of verses following, 4, 5, 6, 7, 10, 13, 16, and 17, to him. Oh, give thanks to him who. When it warns us in Romans 1 that we did not honor God or give him thanks, you ever get a thank you card? You went to a wedding, you bought them a, I don't know, what do you buy these days for weddings? A food processor, a salad shooter, um, a butter knife, another place setting. And you kind of get the impression in the thank you note, if you get one, that they don't know which place setting you gave them. Or they don't know that you gave them a place setting. We have really enjoyed using your gift many times since the wedding. You say, they don't know what it was. The swine. 
Well, the Lord uh, has different, or shares your standards, basically. Oh, give thanks to him for the butter knife. Oh, give thanks to him for he alone does great wonders for his steadfast love endures forever. Never forget that every echo of every statement you make about your God Never go through those little doubts? I don't know if God loves me. For a steadfast love endures forever. It's almost the insulting quality of the repeated line. You don't want to have repeated lines like catechisms or creeds or, or favorite verses you just rattle off without thinking. But this is repeated. Repetition is good. Verse 5, to him who, by understanding, made the heavens. Now, I don't know. I don't know what your position is on the creation of the natural world. I am a, what's called a creationist. I am a, what do they call it? A troglodyte. Um, cave-dwelling, knuckle-dragging, Arkansas hill ape who believes God created the world. Now, one of the reasons I believe God created the world is the Bible keeps saying he did. And I know that it's not the gospel. And I know that you can have different views about it. Fine. But I want you to know that it's part of the story you tell. So when you give thanks to your God of gods, one of the things you're going to want to trot out is at least your understanding of this creative act. <laughs> One of yours. It's great to be an Anabaptist. Okay. Whatever your story is, and once you start telling your story, you might start going, oh, that's not a really good story. See, I, the story I get is, about 6,000 years ago, the Almighty called the world into existence out of nothing. So consequently, when I say, to him alone who does great wonders, to him who by understanding made the heavens, Verse 6, to him who spread out the earth upon the waters. To him who made the great lights. The sun, verse 8, to rule over the day. The moon and the stars to rule over the night. It just walks you right, doesn't even talk about the creation of man, it just talks you through the creation of the natural order. Whatever story you tell, credit God with the story you tell. This is one of the benefits of having a Bible. It's a great, great aid and comfort to the saints. Great capability of passing on to us stories we wouldn't know otherwise if we didn't have those first few chapters of Genesis and these few remarks at various places in the Old Testament, what would we have for a coming into an existence? Whatever your understanding is, I trust you credit your God for it. Whatever the narrative that you give, 
Because you want it, you're, you're, you're by, as you know, I, I, the view I hold is, 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 again, archaic, but it's better than yours. <laughs> because you, you get to say, well, thank you, Grandma, for the greatest gift ever, which I know you didn't do anything to achieve. You just sent money to Mom and she bought it on Amazon. Because really, you did nothing. How close does your story of the creation get to that? Well, God really, you know, not really involved. Stuff happened. He super supervised. Maybe he, he heard about what was going on, this creation of this universe, this coming into being. I at least want to give him credit for it. But whatever, or you could have a lot of intervening places where I got theistic evolution or old earth situations where you just drag the timeline out a little bit. Fine. Tell the story. Credit God with the story. To him who did this. My thanks to him who did this. Because I'm not only just saying how much did he do that I benefited from. I am alive because he made a world. We're not talking about grandma who did a lot to get that gift to you. But some of the things about your grandma. Um, do you know anybody who's got grandparents that are kind of famous. Kind of. We probably have a, a, a relative that knew somebody famous. I think my dad knew a lot of famous people. I just, I mean. I knew Corey Ten Boom, but, you know. I was not Corey Ten Boom. Just, just saying. Is there anybody got any fame here? Oh, yeah, Frank, you don't want to know about Frank's uh, early Chinese uh, before the revolution in China. Was it your grandfather? Yeah. Bad things would happen to you. He was the head of the secret police? Yeah. So watch what you say around Frank. <laughs> it was against the guy, especially if you're a communist, yes. You communists, I know who you are. We like, we like knowing somebody who did something, even if it didn't benefit us. Because we know that our accompanying someone who is famous for, you know, I don't know, breaking the four-minute mile or or landing on the moon. If you were a kind of a friend, your dad was a friend of Buzz Aldrin or something like that. You know, well, at school, you know, you got you win at that point. Well, show and tell, my grandfather knew Buzz Aldrin. We like having that sort of impress of importance. And when we tell the story of our God, when we declare things about him, that he is good, that his steadfast love endures forever, that he is greater than all the gods, he is greater than all the lords. Well, matter of fact, he made everything. I have a friend who called the universe into existence, and you? You know that big flaming ball of gas in the sky during the day? My God. Lift that thing up. And your God did what? Is your God like Doctor Strange in the Marvel Universe? 
he didn't just do that to him. Verse 10, who smote the firstborn of Egypt. Which is sort of odd when you compare it with the next line, for his steadfast love endures forever. Who killed 55 million people with plague, his steadfast love endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them, for his steadfast love endures forever. The sentence goes on. It isn't just that he made the world, lit the lights in the heavens. He followed his people. He called them out of Egypt. They were in slavery. He had spoken to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then they went into Egypt and ended up slaves in Egypt. And he set them free because his steadfast love endures forever. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm. For his steadfast love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in sunder. For his steadfast love endures forever. And made Israel pass through the midst of it. For his steadfast love endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. For his steadfast love endures forever. Begin to realize that he is doing things for his people. It may be that he is not just greater than the gods and greater than the lords. Not just that he could make material universes happen. But he takes sides. What he wants people to be benefited, his people. Not because they were good. The Jews were not good. It was just like every other rotten group of people marched across the face of the earth. But God called out people who sought him, like Abraham, and said, I'm going to promise you something. I'm going to bring something to pass in history, in your line, in your people, regardless of how disobedient they become. I will keep working with them and working them, because his steadfast love endures forever. To Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to David, and to the descendants of David, to the Son, Jesus Christ, who was God's love expressed to man forever. Repeatedly, you're told his steadfast love endures forever. I don't know whether or not you have a, how healthy a read you have on the Old Testament. There's a lot of really good understanding about the Christian life in the New Testament. Can't recommend it enough. But read the Old Testament. Read the Old Testament. Especially read the stories. Whether it's Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Judges, Joshua, the Kings, Samuels. All this stuff have got... And I understand why the minor prophets where one of the prophets is going off against Moab. You're going, I've not really got so very much interest in Moab right now. They're good. They're worth reading. But you want to start collecting a knowledge of the great stories of your God. What he did. To him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who smote great kings and slew famous kings. Do you want some names? Okay, Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, the king of Bashan. Now, Sihon and Og, the king of Bashan, are out of numbers. And uh, numbers 15, 14, 15 in there. Um, and they're right where the Jews are coming up 
out of the wanderings. They're not lost tribes, they're wandering tribes. They knew where the promised land was, they just couldn't get to it. So they're brought up the west, uh, east side of the Jordan, called the Highway of the Kings. And there are various kingdoms on the east side of the Jordan, the Amorites and the land of Bashan, kind of directly across from where Jerusalem is now, but so right about where they're coming across into uh, uh, Canaan. And these are two kings that said, oh, no, you don't. Even though the Jews said, hey, we're just going to walk through. We just want to stay on the highway. We're not going to bother anybody. We won't even drink water from your wells. And Sihon goes, oh, I don't like this. So he goes out against them. Everybody gets killed. Then Og, the king of Bashan, does the same thing. Everybody gets killed. Really not that interesting. As a military issue, really not that interesting as they're not that famous. Sihon's not that famous. Og is not that, other than a great name, Og, the king of Bashan. You just be thank, I was thinking about preaching on another passage of Bashan because it said the cows of Bashan, referring to the women. I kind of, you know, that's a great image. You cows of Bashan, which are fat cows. Be thankful that it's Og of Bashan. It's a, probably just a, a reference because they are placekeepers of names known probably in everybody's. Oh, I knew about, uh, you know, George, what's the name again of the guy who they have a Ill annoying Broadway presentation about? Hamilton, that's right. Do not bring that up with me. You ever want to see a pastor punch somebody in the face? But what? How many of you cared about Hamilton before that happened? Nobody. You didn't even know Aaron Burr shot him, who was a descendant, grandchild of Jonathan Edwards, the famous preacher. He said, oh my, this is getting creepy. Well, Alexander Hamilton was, I mean, he's a smart guy, cool guy, probably a pretty good-looking guy from the paintings. But this part of your history, you got this name that trickles out, William Henry Harrison, Tippy Canoe and Tyler too. We got phrases, Og and Z uh, Sihon. They're, they're phrases of, these are kings we beat. These are guys we defeated. We marched up and took it. And then it turns out that, and gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to Israel his servant. In the division of the land, the land of Sihon and Og the king of Bashan were given to Manasseh, the descendants of Joseph, because it was on the east side of the river. That was Ephraim and part of Manasseh primarily, and uh, Ephraim was on the uh, west side, but that was his, explicitly his territory, the lands he took from Sihon and Og. Know the stories, know the details. Because his steadfast love endures forever. What God has done by giving you, I've often, um, I have the same problem with Broadway that I have with Lord of the Rings. Because here is a real story of armies marching over the face of the earth. Wizards, evil, ghosts, castles, uh, rivers of blood. This is the real thing. 
and we go running off to elves running around trying to do things and those awful hobbits. That's the real thing here. The more you know about what your God is doing, he has laid down a story from the creation down to you, essentially. You know, when you get to Christ's life in the first century, by then, the world is sort of agreed that we've got history being made and we're all writing it down. So after Rome, everybody's you know, writing their history all the time and you know where you, you breathe that river. But before the Romans, you've got to go look for the river of the information that came down to you. The story that really happened. Verse 23. I made it in red. It is he. It is he. You know your God has been at work throughout human history. Whatever your view of the length of the creation, write it up and credit your God. It is he who has done these things. He has, most interestingly, done something to the world because his steadfast love endures forever, but it, it jumps an infinite distance. You know, I don't know if you ever thought about seeking God and... and and I'm, I'm sure you're all in that situation where, to one degree or another, you have questions about God. You want to find him. But you're looking. You're a finite being. He's an infinite being. You're looking an infinite distance down some pretty dark hallways. Thank God, his steadfast love, enduring forever, crosses the infinite distance. He is looking at you. It is he who remembered us in our lowest state. What art man that thou art mindful of him? What is man? It's a... You'll feel it more as you age. You're barely hanging on, man. We don't even have a coat of fur. We, we have to have stores sell us our food. We're, we're, we're barely, we're civilized, that's true. But we have a low estate in the cosmos. We're the direction of the cosmos. We're the point of his love. His steadfast love was not loving himself. He was loving other. That's the nature of love. It turns towards other and offers itself to other. What I, want, what I want you to think about in terms of you, and I'm not giving you homework, I'm just asking you to check your own heart. Why don't you, why don't you know the stories? Could you sit down? You know, my, some of you have talked to my father over the years, and occasionally he's given people the assignment to write a letter of honor to their parents, father especially, whom they have never honored. You don't want to be faced with a task like that where you know nothing about what your father has done. Never asked, never checked, never looked. When we try to honor that which God, you know, it says we do, because we did not honor or God or give him thanks, 
You need these pieces of information. You need to know how great your God is. You need to know how great the other gods are so you can say, neener, neener, our God is greater. He remembered us. Verse 24, and rescued us from our foes. He has reached an infinite distance with this love. It has been given to us out of a great narrative. You're actually part of the, the plot of history. You might not have a big, you might be the third footman from the left in the credits at the last. Well, God may use you in a great way. I think Dan Smith was arguing on Saturday uh, that God was using uh, always the unexpected person. I didn't believe that he always was. I, he does, but I don't think he always does. He was, he was marveling that Billy Graham had died and then Kanye West had become a Christian. And he's like, oh yeah, that is odd. <laughs> you know, but... We are part of the story, and we should know that we're not part of our narrative. You, you know I go on too much about narratives, that people are writing their own, then you try to live in an improv way in your own story, and we realize we're not very good writers, and uh, we always think we're the hero. And neither are we the hero, nor are we good writers, and so, and then we bump into everybody else's narratives, and it just goes to pieces. Hades in a handbasket. But the Lord can lean. He doesn't have to write history out. He can just lean on history because he's the biggest. He's the greatest. He made everything. He remembered us. He rescued us from our foes. And then the psalmist goes, you know, he's a good God to everybody. He who gives food to all flesh. Like what he says, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Common graces, life, beauty, thought, dinner. Everybody has seen enough of God's steadfast love. He gives food to everyone. In verse 25, or verse 26, the end says, Oh, give thanks to the God of heaven. That's where he started. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. And then he runs through this little quick analysis of how great my God is, all that my God has done, and then how he thinks of me, how he addresses the love. I don't know if you know, this is the edge of empire. This is the corner. This is not even the direction empire is going. We're in the backwoods of empire. North Idaho, the Panhandle, we're in the hinder parts of our own state. People don't even know they're in Idaho driving from Montana to Washington. They're through it, suddenly. We're nobody. But we're part of God's story. He is the God of all things. Uh, we don't want to be too proud, certainly. You don't want to think that your own narrative is so winsome and enjoyable that you spend your whole life studying what you're writing about you. Spend some time studying what God has done in all of history. Who have been the faithful ones? Who have been unfaithful? How has God judged? How has God delivered? 
Know the stories. Because otherwise, this superiority about ourselves. You know that humility is a virtue. Be humble about the storyline. Realize you might be third footman from the left in somebody else's story, let alone God's story. What is God doing in you, in your church, in your town, in your country, in your century? Well, give thanks to the God of heaven. I don't... uh, It's it's a little too obvious, you know, going through this, I I realized that, how am I going to drag this out and do a long enough sermon? Just keep talking, Evan, was what I told myself. Um, The basic thing for you to take away, if you want to think about it some more, is we know that the story affects... Somebody was saying it a couple nights ago in the library about grandparents or parents buying toys for their kids and how easy it is on Amazon Prime how you can get your shopping done. Leslie and I used to take a night away from Moscow, drive to Spokane, to spend what little money we had to make our child's Christmas. We got pulled over one time coming back from, because I was playing some Kenny Wayne Shepherd a little bit too aggressively and my foot was a little too, and the cop pulled us over. He looks inside the car and sees all these presents in the back. And we were just up in Spokane shopping for presents for our kids. Oh, get along with yourselves. Just a warning. That's how it used to be before Amazon. Now all I see is a UBS truck parked outside their house. I think they have a little, like a, a hub where they ship things into the hub at the front of their walk. Everybody knows you did nothing for my gifts. You saw it online, you said, ages two to five, under $15, that, click, two of them, click. Back in the old days, parents had to drive at least to the mall. But if you had created the world, you would expect people to note that and say, yes, but before he got me presents, he created the world. He made everything. And he killed all my enemies. This is just great. Not shopping on Amazon, pikers. You will enjoy telling the story of your God if you know the story of your God. You will see the phrase, his steadfast love endures forever. We see his thread of following his people even when they were disobedient, and deserved to be destroyed themselves, he still worked a way to love them. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful. Thank you for your love, that it is enduring, and that it endures forever. Or we want to stand at our place in the story, we want to know all the other places in the story. We have much to sing about, much to thank you for. In your son's name, amen.